If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I am Lexi Linger, your producer and your host for today, and I am so excited to be bringing back Lauren Kent Delaney to talk about interns. Before we do that, I just want to let you know that if everything has gone as planned, our next webinar should only be two days away, and that webinar is on strategic planning. And it's our most popular, and by that I mean that it is filled. So if you haven't registered yet, please make sure you do. Go ahead and claim your spot. We'll be talking about not only what goes into the strategic planning process, but we'll also be talking about whether or not your organization needs a plan and if your organization is ready to commit to the planning process. Another thing we talk about that I really like is what to say to those naysayers who say you don't need a plan. So make sure you check out our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com, and register for that webinar if you're thinking about strategic planning this year. Now let's get back to Lauren. Lauren joined us about mid-January to talk about interns. Dolph and I realized we didn't have any episodes on interns, and so we reached out to Lauren. I, I actually have met Lauren through my husband, who also works at the Carter Center, because Lauren is an intern expert. And by that, I mean the Carter Center runs three sessions of interns a year, welcoming about 100 interns total every year. And Lauren's been there 16 years. That's a lot of interns. I imagine Lauren has seen just about everything that could possibly happen with an intern. So we reached out to her. And in that last episode, she and Dolph talked about um, recruiting interns, doing the interview and onboard process, and also started touching on the day-to-day -day management. And so that's where we're going to pick up. But first, welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you because, again, I just can't imagine a better person to talk to than you about interns. Thank you. So as I mentioned, um, we wanted to pick back up with that day-to-day that -day management of interns. And so some of the things that you and Dolph had talked about in terms of that day-to-day -day management was that interns need a lot more reinforcement, a lot more support because they're, they're new, right? They're new to being in an office. 
they're new to the job and they just have a lot more to learn about. And so that takes up a lot of staff time to be able to do that. So that's where I'd like to start with you is, is, is there anything else you'd like to add to that about the day-to-day management? Yeah, thanks, Lexi. I, I reflected on the first uh, time that we were together. And I know that I said that they require a lot more positive feedback. And I think that I neglected to mention what they really need is constructive feedback. Sometimes that's positive, sometimes that's negative. And even the constructive feedback, if it's delivered, the negatives, if it's delivered in a manner that says, I want you to learn from this opportunity, that's really what's important. So it's not always just positives because we do we do people a disservice if we don't give them realistic feedback on how they're doing. And remember, the internship is only about 15 weeks long, so it's a condensed amount of time. You don't want to wait too long. It's better to have that teachable moment early on. So when I say that they need a lot of reinforcement, it's both positive and negative. So when you said, you know, you, you don't really want to wait, you don't have the time to wait, have that conversation early. Do you have any tips for managers who need to sit down and have that constructive feedback conversation? Um, y- yes, but before that, let me say that as a part of the onboarding process, there is a, a worksheet that I make available to the supervisors about learning objectives, stating goals, not just for the supervisor, but for the intern as well. Because I think most of the time people don't want to disappoint, but they don't share the expectations. And with that worksheet, whether it's actually filled out or just a guide for a conversation, I think that that's much more constructive. So sharing those expectations early on is really the best way to do it. That way, then, if someone is not meeting those expectations, it's great to go back to the document and say, okay, let's go back and talk about that first week. What were the goals that you stated then? And how are we doing to work toward those? Yes, that's so helpful. Dolph and I really love the book, Discipline Without Punishment. Part of the book goes into that, preparing how to have that conversation. And that's one of the things that's definitely recommended is identifying the problem, which is usually somewhere a failure to meet expectations, right? So to be able to clearly state that problem and why it's a problem, and then to review those expectations and make sure that everybody's on track and and see if there's some adjustments that need to be made to make sure that those adjust, that those expectations can be met. Yeah. And so sometimes... Uh, The intern will realize that they were unrealistic in those expectations. Other times it brings back focus because it's a little overwhelming when you start. There are so many different avenues and it's nice to bring that focus back. Absolutely. I like to do that. Actually, when Dolph and I have our annual review, I print out what we talk about and put it on the bulletin board in front of me just so that I stay on track. And we do have to revisit. You're right. Sometimes those expectations become unrealistic, whether we overdreamed or there was some kind of major change that made it so that we had to, to revisit. But it is helpful to have that as a guiding document. Um, so I want to backtrack for a moment. You said you gave staff that document with learning objectives and expectations and things like that. What a useful document for 
your staff in order to manage their interns well. Do you have other recommendations for how an organization can support its staff while they're managing these interns who need so much more time and, and whether that's training or having these constructive conversations? I think part of it is, and that, that document is part of the supervisor handbook. So we do have it in writing, it's a living document, and it, it sits on the SharePoint so that they can go back to it whenever they would like to. There's a handbook for supervisors and a handbook for interns, obviously very similar, and a lot of the worksheet is a part of both. And I think that having it there kind of as a reminder or as a refresher is helpful to the staff. We also have a small budget that allows them, when we're in the office, to take their intern out to lunch. A little bit, you know, get them out of the office, have a, a more casual conversation, if you will. Sometimes that's just nice, a change of scenery. We invite professional staff to attend some of the speaker series, which are, is the professional development series. And I think that that's also a good reminder to the interns that the supervisors are always learning as well. Right, right. You're a manager for the first time at some point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So can I ask what else is in that supervisor handbook other than that expectations sheet? It has everything from things about travel, because we do have some interns who uh, might be invited to travel on behalf of the Carter Center. It has things about interactions with professional staff, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate on all sides, not just from an intern standpoint, but for all sides. In fact, it's really important that that policy is written word for word the same in both so that there is no different expectations of one than the other. Oh, interesting. Um, and being very transparent with that. We talk about attire, you know, professional attire, access to the building, security is important, always wearing the name badges that we have, pretty much standard operating procedure for the most part. Okay. So this actually is getting us to the other question I had for you. What are some of those, if you could go into a little more detail, some of those policies and procedures that strictly govern interns? And I, and I heard you mention that a lot of those actually match staff, like literally word for word. If an organization is thinking about starting an internship program, what kinds of those policies and procedures and standard operating procedures should they be thinking about? I think that interns or, or anybody always needs to know if they're having a problem, where to go. For example, if you're having a challenge with your supervisor, I don't want to give them something that says, if you have problems, talk to your supervisor. Absolutely. They need to know their supervisor and then the next step up and even the next step up. It reinforces that open door policy. Uh, in fact, that handbook says, if you have any questions or concerns, you can contact educational programs or human resources. In other words, there's always somewhere else to go. You want to give a lot of options because people might feel like one area is more approachable than another. Sure. What are some of the problems that you've had interns come to you or to HR with? Hmm, they don't go to HR very, uh, I would be hard pressed to come up with that. I think sometimes the challenges are interns who 
don't feel like they're being challenged, don't feel like they're being utilized. And sometimes interns want to skip over doing the basic things and they want to go to the high profile kinds of whatever. And, and as the supervisor, they kind of want to put the training wheels on a little bit at first and see how that person is going to perform before they're going to trust them. And that I, I think has been the most common issue that I've seen. Whereas the intern wants to go right to the fun or the, I don't know how else to say it other than high profile. Yeah. They want to get to the fancy stuff. I mean, they're working at the Carter Center, right? They want to do fancy Carter Center stuff. I get that. I, I was expecting that. That's not what I was expecting. I was expecting to hear like interpersonal conflict kind of things, not, oh, I want to be used more and, and, and get to do higher level things. Yeah, not as much interpersonal kinds of things. Sometimes maybe someone who says, you know, I, they didn't like my work or I got um, emails when I'm not at work and with the expectation of responding. But no, I, I think that those aren't the ones. It's more a matter of I want to do more. And, and the idealism of an intern who believes that they can come in at that level, and in 15 weeks, they want to make their impact at the Carter Center. Whereas I think the reality is the Carter Center will impact you. Right. So are you the person that usually has that conversation with them then? Yes. So what do you tell them? How do, how do you break that news to them? It depends on the personalities, of course, and how it's brought to me and how far along it is at that time. But just for them to realize that this staff member, that is their supervisor, has been here for, I don't know, fill in the blank, we'll say three or four years. It took them a long time to bring clarity to what they wanted to do and why they're doing it this way. For you to come in, you need to learn to be respectful of the work that they've done prior to this. Ask them why those choices exist and realize that you're being trusted, but it's not, this isn't speed dating. You know, you can't make all those decisions right away. And some of it is just over time and seeing a good work product. And if you're not willing to do the basic things, you won't be trusted with the more high profile assignments. Sure. Okay. So you mentioned that, that you do list HR as a resource if there's a problem. Does HR generally play any other roles in the intern process? No, not unless they're taking interns that particular session. Um, but otherwise, for the most part, for the interns, I am the human resources person. I mean, our human resources is there to support, of course, but that's not a, a part of the expectation. Educational programs does that. So I noticed on your website that the Carter Center actually started compensating interns uh, in the summer of 2021. And I'd love to have a conversation about that. I know that's something that Dolph has talked about on the podcast before. He feels pretty passionately about it. I'm wondering what the Carter Center's thought process was that, that brought you all to make the decision to start compensating. Yeah. There are technical terms, and I can't explain it, but I'm supposed to say that they're not compensated. They're provided a stipend. Okay. That's the human resources impact <laughs> on it. 
And we started doing it actually, Lexi, it was summer, but it was August. So it was for the fall 2021 group was the first session. Okay. So we're in the second cycle of providing compensation. Now you got me saying I'm it's sorry. providing a stipend for the interns. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not your fault at all. So that was really a long time coming, something we had worked on for a while. And I felt really strongly about it. We have an amazing group of applicants for the internship, but an unpaid internship oftentimes is really the people that apply are people who can either afford not to be paid or are willing to take on more debt. So I felt like it was not really giving us a very diverse applicant pool. We wanted to recruit students from all different schools and from all different socioeconomic levels. Uh, honestly, I could not have been an unpaid intern when I was an undergrad. I, I had a work-study job on campus. I needed to, to find that kind of a position. And I didn't want it to be limited to someone who could afford to do a Carter Center internship. Right. I wanted it, and the Carter Center wanted it to be applicants from all different schools, all different parts of the country and all different, as I said, from just from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Absolutely. I had to move back home in order to take my internship. And so there's a lot of people that don't have that option either, just the, the support of a spouse or a family member that can take care of them during that time. Well, and for some of our interns, again, prior to COVID, we had people that would, they were expected to relocate to Atlanta. It was a big, not only are you not being paid, but you might be still have rent from wherever you live before this, if you haven't been able to sublet. So it was really a, a considerable commitment. Now, granted, we had a lot of interns from within the Atlanta area, and we're so fortunate to have so many good schools to draw upon in this area. But nonetheless, we had applicants who came from uh, a lot of other places here and other countries even. So being able to provide them some financial support, we did have some need-based financial assistance available, and that's always been available to the best of my knowledge. And I've certainly been supported to grow that budget over the years, but being able to offer a stipend, that's significant. I have so many questions. So while we're talking about the, the diversity piece, I know you, this has been going on for now really only one session, but have you seen a change in who's applying yet? You know, it's hard to separate out the impact that has versus the impact that a virtual internship has versus the fact that we still have an internship in a time when a lot of other places said we just can't do that during COVID. So I'm hesitant to make any generalizations given all of those variables. That's fair. Maybe we'll check back in in a couple years. <laughs> okay. So one of my other questions was you mentioned the needs-based that has been going on for a long time. How how did that work? So did did interns apply for that? What what was that process like for them? 
Yeah, on the website, it said that we had need-based financial assistance available. And then in the appointment letter that they received, it would tell them how to apply for need-based financial assistance. The part that was startling to me was oftentimes interns would get there for the session and say, oh, I didn't know that there was, that I could apply. And I would say, now this is an important point for, you need to read your appointment letter. You need to read the whole appointment letter because you'll miss out on important bits and pieces. That's a life skill too. Read your mail, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, so, so was that limited though? So there were only maybe a handful of need-based scholarships you could give out at a time? Um, yeah, it was it was limited by budget. Um, and we typically did it to kind of spread it around a little bit rather than giving several large grants. Okay. So I want to backtrack a bit back to the process that you and the Carter Center went through to get this stipend started. Were you the one that prompted that? Did that come from elsewhere? Like, how did that conversation get started? And how, and kind of what was the process of that conversation? Gosh, that conversation started so long ago. It's hard for me to remember. I can literally remember having this conversation with previous CEOs of the Carter Center, as well as with our current. When we first started out, we were... And, and our new CEO was being brought in, we each did a briefing paper. And I remember, you know, when we did the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, that was one of the things that I had put in that document that I really felt strongly that for this program to continue to thrive, we needed to look at compensating those interns, offering stipends for those interns. And I believe your new CEO started about a year ago, right? Yeah, Paige, uh, Paige Alexander started in June of 2020. Okay. Yeah, as the spouse of a Carter Center staff member, I have seen a really big shift in email communications and a lot of an emphasis on self-care and care for families as, as we're going through you know, this difficult COVID time. Do you think that was really what prompted this shift? You've been advocating for this stipend for so long, having that new CEO come in. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many moving pieces. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I think obviously Paige Alexander was supportive of it. There are so many people. And this was just as you look at other strong, really competitive internships, I think it's what we needed to do to, to continue to remain competitive. You know, the, the Carter Center internship, whether you go on to become a Carter Center staff member or not, it's one of those things where if you stay in this field, you're going to end up networking with the same group of people over and over. It's not just the internship itself, it's that relationship and the connectivity that you have with the organization as well as the people. So there's, for a variety of reasons, I felt like it was the right thing to do and the next logical move in terms of the progression of the internship. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting as I, I read a study that said that 
people who do paid internships, when they're followed after the internship, tend to be more successful. They tend to have better paying jobs, get those jobs faster and easier than people who had unpaid internships. And in fact, when they compared them, they actually didn't see much of a difference between somebody who had no internship and somebody who had an unpaid internship. So it's really, it's really interesting. I, I, I need to do some more research on that. I, I, it has caught my attention, certainly. And, and I have that question, like, how could, you, you've still done an internship, right? How could that basically be the equivalent of not doing an internship? But there's something about having that paid or that stipend internship that really seems to like set people up for success too. Yeah, I, I, I would be interested to see that research because I, I'd like to think that all of the interns we had prior to us paying them, I think it did have a significant impact on them. And yeah, I, I, would, I would be interested to see that because that's not been what I've observed. Yeah, and I want to also clarify, I didn't mean anything about that with past Carter Center interns um, or internships. And having, again, known many Carter Center interns, I know they have gone on to some phenomenal career experiences, including like not long after completing an internship with you, moving into politics and becoming um, elected politicians. And it's pretty crazy where, where some of your interns have ended up. Yes. Yes, I would. It's impressive. It, it is impressive. And for some of them, it's a game changer for them. It allows them to pivot, to think of themselves as that professional, as a very capable professional. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, I applied for this on a whim. I never thought I would get it. And I'm so excited to be here. Sure. Uh, again, having been close to the Carter Center, and seeing staff and interns, it is a phenomenal experience. And uh, even, you know, like the planes trip, which I know you and Dolph talked about, uh, my husband has actually taken our family on the planes trip, you know, and just the opportunities that that the Carter Center offers for interns um, outside of the office with things like that, but also inside the office with um, panels that are offered and the opportunity to travel, as you mentioned, and just even being in such a professional setting what a great opportunity and what a great foundation for your career. Yeah. I, I, during orientation, I always say, look around the room. If you're going to stay in this field, this will become a significant part of your professional network. And it really is. They learn so much from each other as well, as well as the experience of being an intern. Yeah. And it is so true. The nonprofit world is a pretty small world. So yeah, especially if you stay in nonprofits and if you stay in whatever whatever field, so if that's um, you know health or election monitoring or refugee resettlement or whatever, like that's your that's your crew for forever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. Well, I think it's about time for us to be switching over to that off the map question, and this is not very far off the map, Lauren. So for those of you who have not visited the Carter Center, the nonprofit offices are actually adjacent to President Carter's museum and library. And both buildings are filled with artwork. And I think I read about 1,600 pieces of artwork from photos to statues and paintings. And you can actually or at least before COVID, you could go on a tour and see all of this phenomenal artwork. And, and I believe um, some is 
is what President Carter has done himself. Some have been gifts. Like there's just, it's, it's just an amazing collection. So I wanted to ask you, Lauren, what your favorite piece of Carter Center artwork is. That's a really hard question, Lexi, because you're right. There is so much artwork. We have, I think it's seven original Andy Warhols and literally signed. We have, oh, yes, we do. I, um, so, so I know listeners, you can't see, but my eyebrows went up and my <laughs> jaw pretty much dropped. I, I actually knew, I knew that there were some in the building. I didn't realize that he had seven. Uh, I believe that it is seven. When you go to the executive offices at the top of the stairs, there are three of them all together and all three signed by Andy Warhol and the middle one is signed by President Carter because they're images of President Carter. Oh, wow. There's another one that is of Miss Lillian that he did. There are, well, gosh, I can't describe all of them, but they do, or in typical times, they would offer an art tour, which I would always recommend. And President Carter himself has done a lot of painting himself over the years, as well as woodworking. It used to be a treat if I was taking a tour through the executive offices. I remember seeing different pieces of furniture that he had made, you know, a, a cradle for a great grandchild or something like that, that was sitting in the office before it was going to be sent out. So there are a, a lot of pieces. As I'm thinking about, as we're having the conversation, I'm changing my mind as to what my favorites are, partly because I haven't been in the office as much recently. There is a, a mother of pearl box that I saw in an empty office. It's very ornate. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's, it's a, um, a hectagon-shaped mother of pearl box and you open the latch and it's lined inside with red velvet. I thought it was just, it looked like a crown should be in it. And I asked, because the rules are, you know, you have to, you can't move the art around. The art services people have to do it. And because of the inventory. And only later did I find out, I requested it to be, asked if it could be moved to my office. And I have a great place for it on, on a, a table in my office. And later on, I learned that it was a gift from Yasser Arafat. Wow. But it sits in my office and it's, it's such a conversation piece because it sits under glass on that table. It's just a great conversation piece. I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy a lot of the paintings that President Carter has done. There's one in particular that he has done it's a selfie of himself, if you will, where it's him standing in his, well, his studio, his art studio, and it's him from behind himself. He's standing there in a pair of jeans and a shirt. I like that one too, because it's, it's just so, it's so him. I, I mean, it warms my heart to see that, that particular one, but there's, there's a lot of really spectacular pieces. And I would always recommend that people uh, if they have an interest, once we're reopened, um, learn more about the art at the Carter Center. Absolutely. I've been on that tour a couple times, but obviously I haven't been inside the Carter Center for many years now. Yeah. And, but that, that was something that always stood out to me was President Carter's work because I didn't realize that, that he painted. And I especially didn't realize that he did woodworking. There's a, a dresser 
I'm not sure if it's still there, but there used to be a dresser there that he had made. And I just was so impressed. So that was always my favorite. And I, I wanted to note real quick, you mentioned like you were able to request that box and have it in your office. And that's something I think is so neat as a staff member, you can put in requests for art to be in your office. Like when we visit my husband, he has all these fascinating, and he and his office mates have have selected all these fascinating paintings that are all over the walls. And just what a neat opportunity to, and what a cool way to decorate your office. It is. Yeah, it really is. I have a painting in my office that is actually quite formal. It was in the office when I moved in and I, I hadn't really given it much thought. I looked at the signature and it says Lady Laurie Spencer Churchill. I looked it up and sure enough, it's Churchill's niece that had done that painting. And it's the painting itself is got just a lot of texture and movement to it. It's really grown on me over the years, obviously still lives in my office. And then a different wall that I have a, a painting that's actually quite abstract, but is applicable here because it was a former intern who select an art intern who selected that piece for my, I said, I'm going to rearrange. And they do, they have an art closet. And oftentimes they'll say, well, there's not much in there. Their idea of not much in there. And my idea is quite different. And I said, I, I'd like you to go down, take a look and select something for this wall, make a couple recommendations. He brought in three and there was no question. It That was definitely the one that and it's been there all these years. Oh, well, neat. Well, listeners, I want to make sure you know how to find Lauren, the Carter Center, the museum, the library, and information about all of this great art we've been talking about. You can do all of that on the Carter Center's website at www.cartercenter.org. And again, I, um, I just have to echo what Lauren has said. When everything is open again, you've got to go check this out. The museum is phenomenal. Um, I've never actually been in the library. You can see a window into it, which just looks very impressive. But the museum is, is a lot of fun. And this, this art tour is just so fascinating. I, I highly recommend it. On that website, you can also learn more about the Carter Center's internship opportunities. And they also have uh, graduate assistantship programs that you can learn about. Uh, and again, that's cartercenter.org. Lauren, thank you so much for coming back on the show with us and helping us, you know, round out our intern information. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Lexi. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. Well, listeners, you can always find that Carter Center URL along with information and the registration page for our upcoming webinar on our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. And if you like this episode, you can also find a whole bunch of other, all of our other podcast episodes that we've released on our website, but I'd like to call your attention to two of them. The first is episode 236, which is Lauren's first episode she did with us, All Things Interns, Part 1, and also episode 121, All Problems Are People Problems with Brad Wolf. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. And of course, I have to, to share the disclaimer with you. Lauren and I are not accountants or attorneys, and neither we nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Today's material has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified licensed professional about such matters.